Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 74. This week, we talk with Donovan Brown about DevOps and release management, how to get 100% unit test coverage, and Carl challenges Donovan air hockey. I'm not making any of this up. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week, we have Donovan Brown. He's a senior program manager for DevOps at Microsoft. He's been writing code for nearly 20 years and began his career at Compaq Computers. I remember that company. He's also the 12th best air hockey player in the world and a competitive driver. That is an awesome bio. How's it going, Donovan? How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So before the show, you know, Carl, he was really putting down air hockey. He said it's just it's pure, <laughs> it's pure luck. <laughs> and I was like, Carl, no, you need skill for this. Uh, you yeah. do. It, it's a, it's amazing. The way I describe it is grown men taking this sport way too seriously. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's amazing. When you look at someone like Danny Hines, who's been the number one player in the world for as long as I've known him, uh, it's amazing what he's able to do on that table. <laughs> it's just insane. Uh he makes me look like I don't know how to play, and I'm the 12th best player in the world. So you can just imagine. It's it's no luck at all. It, every time we strike the puck, we know exactly where it's going to go. Yeah. The whole objective is to convince you it's not going to go there so that you move out of the way. There's only so much space that I have on that side, so it's more about deception. I will Because yeah. you have seven seconds to shoot. You don't have yeah. to shoot it as soon as you get oh, it. Oh, really? Like okay. Tennis. So a lot of us will basically, what's called drifting. We will move the puck around the table in such a way that we're convincing you that he's setting up for a shot to the left. And then next thing you know, it's a right wall under or a left wall over or something that, that completely comes out of nowhere. So it's, I watched some of it on YouTube. It was just, it was fascinating to it's me. It's insane. Yeah. It, it, I love it though. Yeah. Cool. And then a competitive driver. That's, that's gotta be fun. That's something I always wanted to do, but uh, you know, just terrible. So, oh no, I mean, <laughs> you should find your local autocross, uh, there, that way you can learn in a really safe environment. I mean, I don't yeah. do any illegal street racing, um, but I, everything that I do is sanctioned and, and, and very safe, but I encourage people to do it because the driving that I do on track has actually prevented me from having accidents on the road, right? Because yeah. you're taught to look ahead. You're taught to be taught to be alert. You sit differently. You're more comfortable, but you're, you're ready to react. And I've had chairs fall off of vehicles in front of me and I'm able to slalom around it like I'm on an autocross course. And now I'm like chasing this guy down, hoping something else falls off so I can swallow him around that <laughs> chair, right? It's like, this is awesome. <laughs> Most people would have panicked, slammed on the brakes, hit the chair, damaged their car. But for me, it's just, I don't even think about it. It just happens. So I encourage everyone to at least autocross because it makes you That's a better cool. driver. Cool. Yeah, that's at the risk of totally going off topic and destroying this episode. So I have a <laughs> I have a 2015 uh, Mustang convertible. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, it, it's super fun. And, and what I've what I've realized is actually those cars, like any any kind of car like that. And I think you have what an M3. Yeah, I drive BMW. Yeah, so you have an M3. Like those those kinds of car, like sports cars, I think are actually the safest cars you can get because. You know, I drive my minivan and, and if that chair would have <laughs> fell out in front of me, like there's nothing, all I could do is just drive over it and yeah, it would have been sure. game over. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> What's interesting is I bet you your minivan can still do more amazing things than you give it credit for. I, I'm a, c- a car control instructor and we bring people to say, bring whatever you drive every day and we're yeah. going to make you a safer driver in that. And we get everything. And what I tell everyone at the beginning of the course is you're going to leave here with a newfound respect for that vehicle because it's going to amaze you on what it's able to do. Yeah. Trust me, none of us are driving our cars to their full capability. <laughs> yeah, I may or may not have had it in the air a few times. Okay, so <laughs> so how's it going, Carl? It's going pretty good. And uh, we'd like to, this week, also welcome everybody who's come to us who's listened to the Windows Developer Show. Um, 
for those of you who listen to Just Us and aren't very familiar, that's another amazing podcast that they just haven't had time to put anything out in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we know at, at least uh, both of us know Ryan personally and uh, Travis via, you know, oh, I, I, I know yeah, Travis communications life as well. Yep. Yeah, well, I've I've seen him, but I haven't had a personal conversation. So I'm not going to say I'm great friends with him or anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, we really like what they've done, and uh, we're glad that uh, they pointed everybody else uh, our way as well. So welcome. Yeah, yeah. So they, I think they just, you know, it was a it was a time thing. So they uh, they haven't recorded in a few months, and they they told people to come over here in the time being. But uh, I I hope that they come back because I really like the the stuff that they were doing. But, uh, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll do our best to, to keep our, those listeners happy. Uh, okay. So what do we have for feedback, Carl? Uh, this week's feedback is from Dan Clark, uh, last episode. And I kind of forgot that we mentioned this, uh, because I had some amazing hardware difficulties. Um, we had talked about a little short story that was also a YouTube video called they're made of meat. And he had, uh, dug it up, actually found the transcript for it as well. So uh, I retroactively added that to the show notes for last week. So go check it out. You can see both the uh, the story as well as a YouTube video for They're Made of Meat. And uh, because he did that, uh, he won this week's uh, Infragistics Ultimate License. Um, if you want to get that too, all you have to do is uh, have some sort of communication with us. Uh, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, web, you know, call us on cell phones, you know. Just, just don't take yeah. pictures of the backside of us as we're walking away. Yeah, not again. But uh, you know, if you want to hold a boombox outside of our window, um, that's okay, but creepy. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the news. So actually, the first thing, and I'm, I'm gonna try to record something with my son and splice it in. But um, I basically commissioned my ten year old son to create us a uh, Mario level because he has this Mario Maker game, which is pretty incredible. I recommend checking it out. Uh, so he went and he created an MS Dev Show level. And I, I didn't watch him make it or anything. I said, you make it and I want to play it and I want to see if it's any fun. And I played it and it was pretty fun. So uh, what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll include the, there's a, basically a code that you can use to, uh, to download that. And I'm going to try to record a, a short snippet and maybe put that at the end of the show. Uh, up next, uh, Azure in plain English. Oh, this guy's blog looks familiar. I think I've seen this. <laughs> oh, this is me. Okay. So, <laughs> so on the last episode, I promised to do this, even if somebody else did it. And, and actually somebody else has done this as well. Um, I don't think that they've actually published it yet. And I don't think that they know that mine exists, but ignoring that for a second, um, you know, so last week we talked about, um, a site that, that was talking about AWS services in plain English and basically was saying, well, here's what AWS calls it. Here's what, uh, here's what it should have been called. Here's what it actually does. So I just, I spent, uh, this was like Sunday evening. I spent, I don't know, hour and a half putting this together, basically some tables, um, you know, showing different Azure services and, um, and actually I don't think I have like, you know, release management out here. So, you know, so there's, it's definitely not complete. This is all in GitHub though. So send me a pull request. (laughs) There we go. I avoided disaster there. Uh, what, what was interesting though, during this exercise is that the names in Azure are actually pretty good. Like they, they tend to be named what they do or what they are. So for example, um, there's web apps, which we ended up renaming from websites. And I just said, could be called, I I didn't say should be called, but I said, could be called like websites or website host. So uh, ironically switching back to its old name. So, uh, let's see what else is that virtual machines. Like I couldn't think of a way to get simpler than that. I, I ultimately, um, what did I call it temporarily? I think I called it virtual private servers, but then I switched. I'm like, well, just call it servers. 
So instead of virtual machines, you can just call it servers. Well, it's interesting, right? Because you can also stand up clients. OS is up there, right? So it's not just servers. You can stand uh, yeah, up Windows yeah. 8, Windows 10, things like that. So yeah, they truly are just virtual machines with any OS, including Linux, right? So, yeah. Maybe I should yeah. just call it computers or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's all it is. It's just yeah. a computer in the cloud for you. Or, or rent a computer. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anybody has better suggestions on what I put out here, like I said, um, there's actually an edit button right at the bottom. It says edit this post. Hit that button. You can go out there. I mean, you don't. You don't have to even know how to use Git or anything like that. Just uh, change some stuff, push the button. I'll get a pull request. I'll review it. And if it's better than what I have out there, I'll accept it. So let's just keep improving this thing. Cool. I think your funniest one is uh, you renamed mobile engagement to mobile psychic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, you know, in some of these, you know, I hadn't looked at it in a while. I'm like, what, what does this thing actually do? And I had to read through like over and over again what it actually did. So that one tracks what users are doing in your app and custom customizes the experience based on that data. So yeah, mobile, mobile psychic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I had some people challenge a couple of these and then we talked through it and I didn't, you know, I just didn't really see a reason to change any of them yet, but I'm happy to do that. If, if people have better things like media services, I switched like video processor. Uh, so people would understand that. Um, the some volume of, them of the same. services that we have is just, it's staggering. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I would, I remember I used to be a TSP, so I, and before I joined mm. the engineering team, I would I would demo all these different tools every day, and then every time I'd go and do a an Azure demo, there'd be another feature, or another, and I was like, I actually don't know what that does yet. I am gonna have to go do some research <laughs> for you. It literally just popped up while I was doing this demo. It's just unbelievable how fast we move there. Oh, I know, I know. And 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 there was a point when you could you could wrap your head around and be an expert in, in every Azure service. Yeah, and those days are gone. Yeah, there's n- there's sure. nobody that can do that now. Yeah. Um, there you just, I, I've learned, I just have to pick certain things that uh, I'm going to be good at and the rest I'm going to defer to other people. Agreed. Uh, okay. So the next one, this one is link. I think this is a link bait title in my opinion, but how to have 100% code coverage with tests and be sane. Um, so I know Donovan, you had mentioned that you, uh, for, you were going to make a comment on the hundred percent code coverage title. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of code coverage. Um, yeah, and too. I remember when I first saw it, the, I thought I was like, I, I such a geek that when I first saw it demoed, when we actually showed you the different colors, the hair on my arm stood up. I'm like, Oh my God, that is the coolest thing I have ever seen. Oh, I yeah. cannot wait to get that into my code. And when I tried to explain it to other people, the analogy that I gave is like, if you're old, like me, when you went to the dentist, they would send you home with these little pills and then you would brush your teeth. Oh, and yeah. chew this pill. Remember that? The, and then like when the you smile, yeah. it would show you everywhere you missed brushing. <laughs> I said, yeah. that is what code coverage is for your test, right? It's oh, for your code. It literally awesome highlights analogy. it for you and says, this is where you forgot to brush let's go back and write more tests what happened to those pills do they cause cancer i have no idea (laughs) i have no (laughs) idea i I miss those things yeah so i went home one day and i just started it was like a game to me i was like i need to get all my code the same color so i worked on this one page of of a website that i run and i got it to where all the code behind was completely one uh code covers like this is freaking awesome there's no more bugs in this page it's 100 (laughs) percent coverage, right oh geez exactly right so you know where i'm going with this (laughs) yeah so i pushed the new version of my site up and one of the things that my site would do is the last thing it would do before it blew chunks was like hey i'm sending out this this sos email to donovan saying i'm going down this is the page that i'm on this is the stack trace go figure this out and one of the first emails i got was from that page and i was just i was dumbfounded like i don't understand i mean it's 100 percent code coverage how can there be bugs on this page you're supposed to be the chosen one exactly (laughs) you're the one that's going to be why i'm going to go off and do this and i was kind of deflated then i realized just because you exercise all the paths through your code does not mean you've 
exercised every input to your code. For Absolutely. example, you, if the first line of your code is string.length, right, or you're doing the length of a, of a string and I pass in null, that's going to blow up, mm -hmm. right? Even though I could have tested that line hundreds of times and it's all the right color, it does not mean that my code is bug-free. And I try to make sure I drive that home to people. Yes, I want you to be excited about code coverage, but I don't want you to assume that if it's 100% code coverage, it's uh, bug-free. And how do I get 100% code coverage? Again, that's very, very difficult to do. If you're not exercising test-driven development from day one, the chances are you have legacy code in there that was written without even a thought of testing, which is going to be extremely difficult for you to test every nook and cranny of it. Yeah. Right? We now have things like um, IntelliTest from Microsoft that allows you to go off and, and have a tool figure out those different paths for you. But still, to me, 100% code coverage isn't the goal. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I saw a few paragraphs of that article where the guy says, I think it's, it's, it's possible. What I think is more powerful is the movement of the number. And what I mean by that is I'm a huge Agilist, big Scrum Master fan, and I, I've run a lot of teams. And in every definition of done that I have, unit test is part of that definition of done. And the only way that I can quickly tell if you right. are violating that or not is by the movement of the code coverage in my build output. If that number dips, someone on my team just violated our definition of done. They introduced code that has not been covered by unit test. If it goes up or stays flat, then we're good. So that's what I'm more important about is the movement of that number, not necessarily the value of that number. Yeah, Carl and I, uh, when we were in a scrum team, it was similar to that. We had a line on there in the definition of done that said that, you know, there either had to be the tests or, you know, basically like a reason why there aren't tests. And there, you know, there's some cases where you're interacting with something external where, you know, you can get closer and you should still see that number go up unless you're close to a hundred. Uh, right. But either way, you know, we were, we were sort of covering it there. So yeah, this is, this is actually, this article is actually talking about, you know, testing features and um, which I think is a, a better way to go about it. Like, here's what I'm trying to do now. That being said, I know, you know, Microsoft was kind of late to the, the unit testing game. Um, and, but then, you know, they sort of ramped up super fast. And I remember there were some tools and I, I think some of them are actually available now, but uh, Microsoft research was creating some tools for actually doing like uh, automatically writing your unit tests. So it's like, I have this method and it could sort of examine it and figure out what the edge cases were. Like I'm going to do, you know, int.max and, you know, yeah. um, you know, like a, a negative number and I'm going to test zero, of course, you know, so it would actually analyze your code and look for those, those edge cases. It used but to be called PEX. Yes. And, PEX, now, yep. yeah, and now it's in the box and it's called IntelliTest. Okay. Oh, so that's, okay. So that's yeah. IntelliTest. And if you remember PEX, you might remember moles, mm -hmm. right? Moles and PEX came out together and moles was our, basically our. Was our, it constraints? Uh, no, it was, it was our isolation framework. So like our mocking okay. tool set, but it's much oh, more okay. powerful than just mocking. And now it's called fakes. So fakes, yep. PEX became that. IntelliTest, uh, moles became fakes. <laughs> They're both in the box right now. And fakes is a fantastic tool set. So okay. if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to invest it. You'll, you'll never use Rhino mocks or MOQ or any of that stuff again. Once you, once the light comes on, it's just brilliant. Okay. Yeah. And I had been at the time I was using uh, constraints as well. And I had made my own constraint framework cause there wasn't one out there and, uh, and using that to, to help with some of those too, because then, um, I, what I was hoping for was a day where you, it would be programmatic where you'd say, Hey, I'm expecting this to pass in this function. Like, and don't even let it be called unless it's this. And then, um, uh, that analyzes the stack above that to see like if, if it's even possible that that can happen. But anyway, yeah, we're getting way off topic. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, so, I guess I've been developing software for a long time, so we can pretty much go anywhere you want to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I think the gist of it's talking about features. I, I don't know how much we want more we we want to dive into it. I mean, the only other thing that I saw out of this, and 
I, you know, I had, we had talked about this on the show before, but I had written a, a unit testing paper a while back. And one thing that I, I was really struggling with that I was trying to figure out how to convey this. And I, I think this article is trying to convey some of the same information. It's like, if I test, ah, oh, I see, I don't even, I'm not even quite sure how to say it, but basically, um, you know, there's certain processes where I, I test different types of modules together and you have this like, um, multiplying effect of code paths of potential code paths. Like, you know, it can go through this code in three different paths and go through this other one in three different paths, but it doesn't require, it doesn't nine tests would be ideal, except that I don't want to write and maintain nine tests. So, you know, I can obviously have the six tests. I can test these three features, these three over here, but then there's, you know, some way of testing like a combination of paths without having, you know, another nine tests. Sure. Integrating those things together. Yeah. Um, test again is your, is your answer for that one too. Okay. Yeah. See, everything's been solved now. Like developers, <laughs> developers today, so they have lazy. it so easy. Yeah, they don't I have to do, they don't I have to do anything. Being, I, you remember news groups? You have to go post your question yep. and the four days later, go back. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. Now yeah. When I worked at, yeah, can. when I worked at, at GE, they, uh, they blocked access to Google groups mm. and I was like, we can't do our job. Like, we can't get answers. <laughs> I remember when I was at university of Houston, my professor was like, I can't believe you guys, you guys are like, what do you call it? Slot machine developers. You make a change, you pull the lever, you make a change, you pull the lever. So I had to wait 24 hours for my compile. They'd have to ship it off to, uh, a&M, run all the punch cards through there, and then you get your results back. It was a 24-hour compile time. Hey, you that guys would justify so faster and faster computers. That's how I kept getting exactly. a faster machine. I was like, <laughs> exactly. you know, I had the CEO come to me at the one company I was at, and, and he's like, every every minute we delay is $10,000 in lost sales. Wow. And I was like, buy me a faster machine then. He's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need four monitors. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. So that, that made a big difference. But that, that's cool. So, so you know, we still have... Uh, you know, I'm still a slot machine developer, but like the, 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 uh, the lever's gone. Like I just put the quarter in. Okay. And the last one here, Volkswagen diesel fraud makes us think about software. So what was your angle on this, Carl? This was so, very interesting. Yeah. So just a, a, a quick recap about what happened with the Volkswagen diesel fraud is Volkswagen uh, vehicles for the last several years, um, when they're hooked up to EPA testing machines, they'll run with their EPA protection in place. So they'll run scrubbing all of the pollutants out like they're supposed to. But when it doesn't detect that they're hooked up to these measurement machines that they're running normally, um, to get more performance and uh, mileage, they'll actually pollute more. That is crazy. I can't believe that a company would do that. Yes. Like this isn't, I, you know, cause, cause my question is like, like, is this like one software developer? It's like, please, please don't have them find me. Please. <laughs> but it, it's, I mean, it sounds Amazing. like it's, it's like a concerted effort oh, yeah, by like sure. groups of people, which is in freaking sane in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, other than the ethical aspects, um, there's, uh, this New York times had this article bringing up, uh, somebody who years ago, who was arguing for more open software, mm -hmm. arguing that if we can see what's going on, um, stuff like this would get caught sooner. Just put it. I don't know why, why don't they just put the car on a dyno and, and like <laughs> run it, you know, just run it like in normal. I, Cause again, this comes back to unit testing, right? Actually, this is like integration testing. Yeah. This is like the integration is like test it in the, the way that it's, I, what is it? Test what you use, use what you test. 
You yeah, know, they like could, they actually do that. that. I have a, I have an old, old really old BMW, um, mm-hmm. and the way that they have to test it is they actually put some instrument right at my exhaust because they can't hook it up the way that they're supposed to. They could have caught them that way as well, right? They went, oh, it's yeah. a high-tech car. I'm going to use a high-tech uh, way of testing it. If they went low-tech, they would have that found is, out I know, that they were cheating crazy. a long time. Yeah, long throw long. it on a dyno and check exactly. the exhaust. Well, well, the problem is is when you have it on a dyno, there are, that's exactly how it was being tested. So it detects that they're saying a, a few of the instances where uh, you don't move the steering wheel um, ah. that that the, that the <laughs> all the car the, would the, oh so, it yeah, so okay. they, didn't, they didn't have an EB I mean a, a, a reader no. on it they yeah. literally no. just said the car was smart enough to say uh uh-uh, uh this is weird you've been yeah. going straight for a really long time <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, apparently the barometer acts different when it's on one of those uh, dynamos so they wow. use that sensor to help figure it out and oh yeah that's you know, not just software that's not just an accident that's someone like you said yeah really oh, okay figuring this stuff so, out interesting yeah so that makes th- sense this now. wasn't this wasn't just like hey i detected this new input i'm being tested right i mean they were really determining that hey this is a that's crazy so i mean th- the thing is is you know it brings it back you know how how do we write software that is more open, especially with stuff like the DMCA? Well, um, and, and not even that, like I'm sure Volkswagen will say like, we don't want to open up our software because uh, it gives us a competitive. Yeah, we have, yeah, we, ha- we, we have, we have some magic sprinkled in our software, not to fake that, but to, you know, that actually does make <laughs> yeah, our cars magic better. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't look over there. Um, so, so, you know, the, which the, the funny thing is, this is, this is, you know, what, what popped in my head was routers, like routers do this, right? You have everybody was writing their own router firmware and, and most of them still do. And, and they all suck, but they all think that they have to write their own because, you know, like they, they think that they're better than everyone else. Sure, sure. And then if you install, you know, aftermarket firmware on it and, and every, if everybody uses it, then it's millions of, you know, routers that are running the software and then just everybody benefits in, in that case. And in some of those aftermarket firmware, since they run on such a wide range, they can target such a wide variety of people and they just get, they get better because of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you could, you could say that for cars too, but you know, it's just tough to, to make that switch. Yeah. I just want less software in my cars, to be perfectly honest. I yeah. Mean, being a or, competitive driver, I want to drive the car. I don't want software making decisions on, did he really mean to accelerate that fast? Yes, that's what I meant. And now I'm not because you're thinking I didn't really mean oh, to yeah. do that. Right. And I, I hate it. I turn off all assisted stuff I can when I'm, when I'm driving competitively and it's still, there's still some you just can't turn off and it drives me nuts. Being a software developer, you think I'd want more software in my car, but I hate it. Yeah, in, in mine, I can actually change the the steering wheel, like the responsiveness. Yeah. I can change uh, I can change the throttle response. There's just a switch that I that I flip. So it also to me that's right. it, to me it's horrible. Like I have a '97 that I just love to death because it's all car, right? You just yeah. know you're driving. And then I have a 2001. I feel like I'm playing Forza, right? The steering wheel <laughs> is fake. The brakes are fake. The gas is fake. None of this is actually at- attached to the car, right? Yeah. It's all being told what to do. And you're I just can, like, like uh, you said, change please, all of it. please go that way. Exactly. It's just like no, that's not what I want. So no, I hear you. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, okay. So we done talking about cars. <laughs> Let's talk about something much more exciting, which is DevOps and release management. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, been, it's been my life for the last almost two years now. So it's exciting to me anyway. No, it is. It, it is exciting. And, and, and I'm, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this too, because I, I want to understand, you know, I, I have different use cases, but I, I work with partners that have like complete opposite use cases of what I have personally. So I, okay. I cover the whole spectrum. So I want to I want to understand from both of those perspectives um, sure. what I can use, how we can make my life better. So 
I guess, first of all, I let's, you know, since our listeners don't know this, what, what is your role at Microsoft sort of shifting gears back to that? Uh, currently I'm a senior program manager for DevOps, which means I am responsible for your DevOps experience on VSO and team foundation server, which right now can be categorized as a triad of products. That's basically the continuous integration or the build, the testing of that application, be it as part of your build or as part of your release, because you could be doing Selenium load or web test during your release. You're going to be running your N unit, X unit, or MS test type of unit test during your build. And then basically releasing that code out into the environment, be it um, whatever clouds provider you want or or even on-prem. So I'm responsible for that entire experience. And we have PMs that are responsible for each one of those, right? And mm-hmm. if we only have those three guys, sometimes you get so focused on just getting build perfect that build forgets to integrate with some of the other things downstream. And that's where I'm like, I got need you, I need you to look up, right? I need us to look at what we're trying to do as a as a unit here and make sure that we're not uh, mm-hmm. we're not. Well, it sounds like you cover everything from the, it's it it goes from the from being code to being in production. Exactly. That's that's okay. pretty much what I think. That's what DevOps is taking in an idea and turning that idea into a working piece of software as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, and, and historically, we, we have a, a lot of trouble doing that. And, and a lot of our customers now still struggle uh, taking that value that we've just produced and getting it into the hands of their users efficiently. Mm-hmm. So can you give us your definition of what DevOps is? Oh. I think that helps really you know frame in what we're going to be talking about here. Perfect. So it took me 30 days to write this one sentence. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I labored over it this hard, uh, and there's actually a blog post on DonovanBrown.com that explains why I chose every word. And it is the, it's the union of people, process, and products to enable the continuous delivery of value to our end users. That's the only way I could say it in one sentence. Mm-hmm. I could sell you products all day long, but if your people don't believe, you're going to fail. Right, because they're simply not going to use the products. They're going to miss yeah, you. Yeah, where can I order products. like three DevOps? Exactly, and <laughs> DevOps isn't something that you can buy. Right, it's not a product. Oh. It's not something that you just install and you are now yeah. DevOps. It's it's a process that you follow about continuous integration. There's different practices that we have, like infrastructure as code, config as code, continuous integration, integration, continuous deployment, that all have to come together in this process. And what we do here at Microsoft is we provide you a suite of products that will help guide you through that process and ensure that your people are, are going to be able to reach their goal. And what I think is really special about working here at Microsoft is Microsoft is uniquely positioned as the only vendor on the planet that literally has everything that you need. You're going to find someone who has a great cloud, and we have one as well, but that per- cloud provider doesn't have your build system and your work item tracking system and your testing system. You might find someone who does a really good job of testing, but they don't know anything about continuous integration. They don't know anything about work item tracking. And what we do here at Microsoft is we give you everything from ideation, which is where I have this really cool idea. Where do I store this idea? And we can give you work item tracking in TFS and via Visual Studio Online. We can give it to you in several different flavors. Maybe you're an Agile team. Maybe you're a Scrum team. Or maybe you're a CMMI waterfall team. And what's really cool about our products is they change their vocabulary to match the way that you expect to use the tools. And we'll guide you through that work item being turned into tasks for your developers, being turned into code that you need to check in. And when you check in your code, you can either use Git, which is a distributed version control, or you can use Team Foundation Server version control, which is centralized, depending on what fits better for your organization. Once it's now in source control, we have a completely cross-platform build system. Our build agent now literally runs on a Mac and runs on Linux or runs on Windows. So you don't have to choose. It's a new age for Microsoft here. 
Yeah. The first time I ever installed Linux was after I joined Microsoft. How <laughs> weird is that, right? So when I go home... And you I weren't have, hiding. Exactly. I have a <laughs> Mac, I have an Android device, I have an iPod Touch, and I have a Linux machine, all because I work at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Not be- because we do cross-platform development for mobile with Cordova and Xamarin. Uh, we have as many Linux machines running in Azure as we have uh, Windows machines in Azure. It's just an amazing time to be at Microsoft because it's not just the .NET company anymore. Right. So yeah, DevOps yeah. is huge. Yeah, I recently saw a tweet that says if you have a DevOps team, you're doing it wrong. And I think your definition really just kind of encapsulates that. It involves everyone in your organization. I'm a big fan, even when I talk about agile. Right. I mean, it, it when you educate people about agile, it's about educating not only your team but the people interact with your team. And when you're looking at a DevOps, I I, I don't mm. see DevOps as being just a team of guys makes this work. It's the integration of your developers and your operations people, including the end users. Everyone's involved in this process that we're trying to do. And I think what's interesting is not only the definition of DevOps, but why are we talking about it today, right? Why were we not talking about DevOps five years ago? Why aren't we going to – I hope we're not talking about DevOps five years from now. But yeah. why, is it, why is it what we're talking about now? It's an extremely hot topic. And probably the most popular post I've ever posted on my blog is the one where I pondered this question. Why now? for DevOps. And what I came up with was because it's what hurts the most right now. Historically, if you've been in software development long enough, you've been on a project that was late, that was over budget, and only delivered half of the functionality it was supposed to, right? We've mm. all been on that project. <laughs> so historically, what hurt was, wasn't deploying software. It was the writing and developing of the software. We did it so poorly. We were always late, never on time, I mean, never on, under budget, and we only did half what we were supposed to. So what we focused on then was what hurt the most, which was the development. And what did we do? We came up with, with Agile and Scrum and Extreme Programming yep. and Kanban. And all of a sudden, our development teams can now produce value very, very rapidly. Mm-hmm. But the value that they're producing still sits where it cannot be accessed by our end users because we've put up these walls and these barriers and these chasms between developers and operations. Because historically, every time we deployed a new version of software, our whole system would go down. Or that, bugs that is that is such a good point because I've I've heard. I've heard people say like, you know, well, we, you know, we, we build on every check-in and like we're, our whole team is agile, but because management wants, you know, they want dates and blah, blah, blah. They're, you know, it just sits there. Like, so it's like, you can't access it, but trust me, it exists and we're delivering value. You just can't see it. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And it's like, well, that you're, then you're failing, right? Then (laughs) that's what I would say you're failing at DevOps, right? Regardless if you have something called a team or not, if you're not getting that value as quickly as you possibly can from the hands of the people who created it to the fingertips of the people who need to use it, then you are failing at DevOps Mm because that's the goal. Get value to our end users as quickly as we possibly can. And that includes, that involves things like automation. Uh, I, w- I really wish I would have recorded this. I was at Ignite North America here, and I was so excited about my talk that I got to the room like half an hour early so I could do my tech check. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, other people were excited about my talk, too, because there was 50 people waiting to get into this room 30 <laughs> minutes before my session started. Wow. So we all get in there. My tech check goes instantly, and I'm already mic'd up, and I'm looking at a sea of probably like 75, 80 people already, and I'm thinking, well... We're already here. Let's just have a chat. So I said, someone brave defined DevOps for me. And someone went to a microphone and said, DevOps is automation. I was like, okay. Does anyone in here agree with him? And a few people raised their hand and nodded like, in agreement. I was like, okay, great. Does anyone else in here have a different definition of DevOps? And one guy stood up and said, it's the collaboration between Dev and Ops. It's, it's in the name. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Okay, agreed. And then I got one that 
I believe, but was really shocked to hear. He's like, no, it's DevOps is taking the input that we get from our application running in production and using that to drive our product backlog. And I was like, oh, wow, I love that, but I wasn't expecting that out of this yeah. audience. I was like, guys, I agree with all of you, right? DevOps is not just automation. DevOps is not just singing kumbaya with your developers and your, and your operations guys. It's not just using that information that we have in production to drive our product backlog. It's all of that stuff together Mm -hmm. and that's again where i was able to say and microsoft has everything that you just said right we have every piece of it including application insights for the monitoring we have the cloud that you can run it in we have everything but to me devops is so much bigger than one individual thing that you install or or run carl i gotta interrupt this for just a second and i want to talk about infragistics yeah if you comment uh on facebook on twitter on our website you have a chance to win the ultimate license from infragistics And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, They have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp charting, gauges, barcodes. It's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, what, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. I love the analogy with Agile because, yeah, I mean, it's just like just like what Carl said. I mean, with, with Agile as well, you don't you don't bring in like an agile team in addition to what you have, right? Like you, you figure out how to, how to get everybody agile and to start thinking differently. Yeah. That's education and process, right? That's yeah. the, and that's, that's key there as well, which I think is why I gravitated so well before joining Microsoft. I worked for a little company where we were process consultants and that's essentially a fancy way of saying I, I flew all over the world installing and implementing team foundation server. That's essentially was my job. But because I was an agilist, I would also stay on site with these individuals and help them actually use uh, TFS in a really agile way. And I, teach their teams to be scrum and things like that. But what I noticed was is that I could only get them so far with TFS back in 2005 and 2008. We didn't have this product called release management, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. So what would end up happening is I would teach them how to do the work items. I'd teach them how to do their testing. I'd teach them how to uh, use Visual Studio really well. And they were all excited. We had this automated build. And then I'd start packing up my stuff, right? And they're like, no, no, <laughs> Donovan, you're not done yet. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not done yet? Well, the software is built, but there's our server over there. Why isn't the software on that machine? I'm like, well, we really don't have anything to do that right now. And they'd look at me with those puppy dog eyes and like, can you do anything (laughs) for us? I'm like, ah, hold on. And I'd go inside their build and I would basically bastardize their build system and make it at least do an X copy 
to yeah. their server, right? I'm like, there you go, guys. The software that we just built is now on that machine. And I did running. that with uh, rsync, yeah. Exactly. And then they're like, that's great, Donovan, but guess what? We also have a QA environment that it needs to go to and a, and a production environment, and the connection strings are all different. I'm like, uh-uh. Build can't do that, right? Build is not designed to wake back up and then go do something again on your behalf. It just does the build, and it's done. It doesn't understand that people need to approve the movement of the code from one environment to the next. Yeah. I'm like, guys, all I can do for you is what I've done. And then I joined Microsoft back in December of 2013, right about the time we acquired release management. And it was interesting because when I saw this product, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I was a consultant again because all those people <laughs> who felt jilted after I left, I could actually do everything they wanted us to do now. Yeah. Because release management adds the approvals that we want. It adds the ability for you to move code from one environment to the next. It also gives you the ability to roll back should something bad happen. And it gives me the ability to, to make sure that my configuration is what it's supposed to be as I deploy the code, not when I compile the code. So it fixed all the problems that I'd experienced for seven years but had no solution for it. So when I came to Microsoft, I attached myself to release management and said, no, uh, I know how important you are because for seven years there was a problem I couldn't solve without you. And I have literally have written it all the way here to, to Redmond because I just won't <laughs> let go of it, right? Like, no, no, release management is mine, right? I'm, I'm going to talk about it all over the world and I'm going to prove that I, I, I know how to use this tool effectively. And that wow. ended up with the, in the role that I'm in today. Wow. So, so can you tell us what release management is since you've properly teased us on this now yeah. and how it fits into this, this topic that we started? Yeah, well, sure. Good segue. <laughs> yeah, so release management is uh, originally was a product that we acquired from a company called InCycle. It used to be called InRelease. So if you've ever heard of InRelease, that is basically what we, we purchased. And as we purchased it, we're starting to roll it in more and more tightly to VSO as a proper first class uh, addition to it. So you no longer have to install it separately in 2015. Uh, when we release it here at the end of the year, we're going to have an update one. It's just going to be part of the product there. We've also switched it to where it's completely web-based, but it is the tool that allows us to solicit approvals from key individuals throughout our throughout our organization before we actually promote code from one environment to the next. So let's give an analogy that we have code that we produce. Let's just say it's a web application backed by SQL Server Database. And we have three environments in which you want it to exist, a dev environment, a QA environment, and a production environment. Well, first thing is, is that every as I move my code from one environment to the next, the connection string, let's say we're doing ASP.NET development, obviously is stored inside of my WebDoc config and needs to be updated as I move from one environment to the next. Release management will handle that for you. So where instead of using the transforms that are inside of your Visual Studio project, we're all, if you've ever expanded a WebDoc config underneath it, there's one called debug and one called release. Yeah, I remember when that didn't exist. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that, when it, before it existed, you had a folder inside of your source control called debug and release, and you had yeah, a WebDoc config exactly. inside of there, exactly. So we kind of matured out of having that into these transforms. But the problem with the transform is that has to happen at compile time, right? You have to compile it specifically mm -hmm. for the target environment in which you want to run. And in the scenario that I just gave, where we have dev, QA, and production, if I want to go to production, I'm clearly going to compile the code for production. But guess what? It has to go through dev and QA first, mm -hmm. where that web.config config that we just compiled is useless, right? So it kind of shot ourselves in the foot, or we still have to compile it three times, which isn't a DevOps best practice. I don't want to recompile for each environment. I want to compile it once, and I want to promote the same zeros and ones throughout the entire pipeline that I know that I've tested them, 
they're good, and I'm going to then move them to the next environment and retest them or test them more thoroughly, and then continue rinsing and repeating until I get to production. Not build for dev, and then build a completely different set of binaries, and then put them in the QA, and then build a completely different set of binaries yet again, and then push them for production, because we don't know what we're actually pushing. So release management enables us to be able to do exactly that, hit stick to that best practice. Build it with our build system, take those same zeros and ones, and promote them throughout the system. It also gives you notifications. So there's obviously key people who might not be the approvers, but want to know where is this code in this current pipeline. We can send them notifications letting them know exactly where they are. Uh, we also send you notifications saying that you are an approver and we're waiting on you. And we allow you to have approvals before and after we enter and exit your environment. Let's say, for example, that I'm a QA lead and I'm in uh, the middle of a two-week QA cycle. And I've just gotten an email from release management saying there's a new build that I'd like to enter your environment. Well, if I'm in the middle of a QA cycle, I cannot accept this new build because it would invalidate my first week's worth of test results. I need to first get this guy out, and then I can allow you to come in and deploy the new version of code for me. What's really nice about release management is I can say, you know what? I do want this build, but I want it at this specific date and time. And release management will go to sleep and say, okay, at this specific date and time, I'm going to wake back up and I'm going to come and start deploying your software, which will be hopefully after you're done testing. Oh, that's so, really cool. Yeah. Should you need to adjust the time, you can obviously go back in and say, we're running a little behind. Yeah. Hey, RM, push that date a little bit longer and then it'll wake up and it'll deploy the software for you. What's yeah. really nice is, go ahead, you have a question? Well, I was just going to say, it's neat seeing the software take the lead, um, but still be able to integrate the people into that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. The people aren't going away. We want to automate as much as we possibly can, but there's points where we're simply going to need a human being to come in and say yes or no. You're mm -hmm. definitely going to want your ops guys involved before you push to production. You want your QA guy involved before you push to your QA environment. You want your dev lead involved before you release from development. And what I said release is that, we actually have a gate before, which is where the, div the QA person says, I want it, but I don't want it now. And at that point, we haven't even touched their environment. We're like, okay, we're going to wait. We're going to come back when you tell us to. Now, we also have a gate at the end of the release that can be either automated, where the tester says, you know what? You guys failed 50% of our, our functional testing. I'm not even going to release this code, which means we won't inundate the people in production with, hey, there's a build that's coming, but it's, but it's no good. We have the authority to say, you know what, I don't even want this to see the light of day. Kill it right now, and then let's let a new version come in, and I'll see if that one's worthy. And if it is, then I'll, re I'll let it leave my environment, which will then rinse and repeat this until it gets into production. So release management is an orchestration platform that orchestrates the movement of your code from one environment to the next until it's in production. Huge fan of it, though, just huge. So how, how does this fit in if I already have an existing source control and like build tool chain? Great. Um, can, can I mix and match some of my own stuff in? Great question. The answer is yes. Um, obviously, I'm a Microsoft blue badge. I bleed blue and I want you to use all of it. <laughs> right. And, and I think it works best as a unit. But you're absolutely right. Our build system can be used in isolation. Our release management system can be wired up to Jenkins if you want to. We can build directly out of GitHub. So you can literally go and get an access token from GitHub. Give it to our build system and say, I want you to go watch that repo for me. And every time you push a commit to GitHub, we'll use that hook. We'll then download the latest version of it, build it using our system and release it to whatever cloud system that you want it to. So the answer is absolutely yes. We understand that being the new Microsoft means that we have to play nice with everyone. And there's other people who have done great jobs at work item tracking, and you might be in love with that product. What we don't want you to do is turn your back on Microsoft because you've already chosen a different work item tracking and not get the value from our build and our release and our, and our cloud. Um, or maybe you want to go to AWS for whatever reason. 
and you want to use us for everything up until that point. We can deploy to AWS like we can deploy to anything else. So fantastic question. So every part of what I'm telling you, that story can be chosen and used piecemeal or it can all be used together. Okay. I didn't realize you could pull from uh, GitHub for the builds. Yep, absolutely. So when you go and look at our new build system and our new build system is completely new. Right, so um, I was a consultant for a long time, as I mentioned before, yeah. and I didn't I didn't mind the XAML builds because I made a ton of money off those <laughs> XAML builds. <laughs> they were so hard to customize that you had to hire a consultant to do it, and everyone wanted to customize their builds because there's, it's a really personal yeah. process of getting your build just right. So we made mountains of money off of customizing those builds. And if you look at Donovan Brown around 2007 to 2008, almost every blog post is about how I can customize builds. <laughs> and then I looked at our new builds something and man now i'm kind of glad i'm not a consultant because all that money is gone our system is so so simple to use it's just a simple list of tasks and the task i love when i bring up the task um list that we have because the first page and a half has nothing to do with microsoft it's gulp it's node it's gradle it's uh, ios development we can build anything that you bring to us so what i like to say is that here at microsoft all code is created equal we don't care if it's .NET. We don't care if it's Power Builder. We don't care if it's Java or JavaScript. If it's code, we'll be able to version it for you and we'll be able to build it for you on your platform. So you don't have to build it on a Windows machine if you prefer to build it on a, on a Linux machine. We have an agent that runs there for you and integrates with our build system. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to do that because I have, I have a .NET web application that I ultimately end up uh, deploying to Azure. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's in GitHub. Oh, great. And... Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I don't know why. Well, I actually, I can tell you why. You know, I was thinking that I had to pull in a whole bunch of things to use Visual Studio Online. Um, so I was actually looking at something like AppVare, which I'm sure you've probably looked at as well. Um, you know, just it's like an online build process. Sure. But if I can use Visual Studio Online to pull from GitHub, uh, build that and then push into Azure. I mean, what I'm doing isn't even too complicated. I'm, I'm definitely going to do that. I, I didn't realize I didn't have to use the uh, built-in source control. We have we have an actual template. So this is what I want you to do. If, yeah. if you don't if you don't already have a Visual Studio online account, you're no, I do I do have an account. You do? Perfect. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't, they're free. Right. You just go to visualstudio.com and you go and you create it and we will literally spin up a VSO for you in the cloud, which is essentially TFS sitting there waiting for you. And mm-hmm. you and four of your buddies can go to town inside of that VSO account for without paying a dime. We will give you automated build for free. So the agent that does the build is actually in the cloud for you as well. You don't yeah. have to install anything. So right. to do what you want to do, go to your VSO, go to the build tab, click on that little green plus, and I want you to do... I don't, I don't want you to do the build template. If you'll notice, there's another tab in there called deployment. I want you to click the deploy template, and in there is already a template to deploy to your Azure website for you. Just click on that one, and the only thing you have to tell us is the name of the website into which you want us to deploy, and wire it up to GitHub, and you're done. And every time you commit to GitHub, we will push that code out into, um, into Azure for you. Ah, okay. Look at that. That's pretty awesome. I, I've it's never ridiculous. seen that. It's never, what it is. It is ridiculous. I see I Xcode in here too. This is wild. Okay, exactly. So, all right, Jason, wait until after the show until rewiring up our website. <laughs> oh, no, no that, our, uh, it's not our website because our website is all, uh, well, I mean, it would work with it, obviously, but that 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 that's all set up and, and runs really good. That actually gets built on Travis CI. Okay. Uh, but in this particular case, it's a .NET application and Travis just does not work with that very well. Okay. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize I went into the build section here. Um, I click on actions and yeah, I see uh, deployment and there is like Azure website, uh, build package, test and deploy your Azure website. Yep. 
And it'll literally we only ask you for one piece of data, which is what is the name of the website. And if the website well, yeah, doesn't repository, exist, repository variables. Okay, because I need to be able to put in some. Uh, yeah. A runtime. Okay. And well, you can protect those if you need to, so that they can be encrypted, and they're encrypted at rest as well, right? So we really protect your data for you, so no one will ever be able to obfuscate or get to that information for you. Or, or uh, so it's really really powerful system. I'm I'm a huge fan, and you can extend that list. And I was working on a blog post before I joined the call on our new tool that allows you to upload your own custom tasks, right? So I've written a couple myself, and I'm just going to port those over to the new tool that we have that, uh, that makes uploading those a lot easier. So you can extend that list. And one thing that I like to say about our build system and our release system is anything that you can show me a CLI for, anything that you can show me a command line for, we can do in our build and our release system. So when everyone says, well, Donovan, can I do X, Y, and Z? I was like, how do you do it today? Well, I run this batch script. I'm like, well, the answer is yes, because I can literally queue your batch scripts with whatever parameters you want me to right now in our build system. Or I use PowerShell. Great. We have tasks that will run whatever PowerShell you give us right now. You don't have to lift a finger to do any of that stuff. Now, I'm a little bit more... I want a more polished experience. So what I would do is I would take my PowerShell script and then I would actually wrap it into a task. So instead of you putting an arbitrary string of arguments, I would be able to present to you a user interface in our build system that would allow you to enter in the values that you need to to be passed into the PowerShell underneath, just giving you that extra code of polish uh, on your task. But it's extremely flexible, uh, and I'm a huge fan. And what's really nice about release management, it's built on the exact same technology that we're using for our build system. You don't have to install a different agent for build and release. It's the same agent, right? So you get to leverage one agent to run your Selenium test, do your builds, and to do your releases uh, from Microsoft. Okay, so I have my build definition. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we're going to do I've, this together. <laughs> well, I've, I've, hooked up, I've hooked up GitHub. I, I, I think I'm almost done. Yeah, it, it's really. Uh, oh yeah, really I didn't. Simple. I didn't. So I didn't specify. So I yeah, I have to go in here and add my Azure subscription. Sure. Uh, yeah, but again, it just it's just like an OAuth thing. But yeah, GitHub. It took me well, you know, thirty seconds to add that. But yeah. Then in here, Visual Studio Build. I pick. You know, it's it's like looking for the solution file automatically. Yep. Platform configuration, restore NuGet packages, Visual Studio version. Uh, All you have to tell us is the name of the website you want it to, well, you want us to deploy to. And what's really cool is if the website doesn't exist, we'll go create it for you. So you don't yeah. even have to go to Azure first and create it and then come back and tell us what it is. You just say, I want it to be an East US. I want it to be called Donovan's Cool Website. And we will either go spin it up for you if it doesn't already exist or we'll deploy over the one that already exists for you. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm almost done. Wow. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and you'll be able to run you'll be able to run your unit tests. So you can use X unit, in unit. Uh, you can even run your Jasmine unit test as part of your build. Okay. And then after we deploy it, if you wanted to, you could turn around and run some Selenium or Coded UI tests, or even a load test. There's a task in there to run a load yeah. test against your application as part of your build and or your release. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's awesome stuff, guys. I, I, it's a, it's an exciting time to be playing with uh, VS. Yeah. So is this? You know, it, it's kind of blurry though. Like, it, am I using release management then? Oh, good question. You are not right. Okay. What you're doing is what I would like to call continuous deployment, which is okay. different than continuous delivery. Right. right. What you're doing is every time you check in code, you will be able to continuously deploy to that environment. But that environment is just your dev environment potentially. Right. If you only have one environment, then it's production, and you are done. But most companies or larger applications have to go through several different environments, which Build will not let you do. Build will basically let you go to one environment and it will sit there. If you need to, I would call, grow this up into a full release pipeline, what you would do is that last task that is inside of your build right now that says deploy to Azure, Mm -hmm. you would remove that from your build. What your build would simply do is compile it, run your unit test, package it, and then it would basically store it back on VSO for you it would then trigger a release in release management. And release management would then go retrieve 
what was packaged by VSO, I mean by uh, build, and then start deploying it to the first environment, and then basically wait for your, your approval saying, I do or do not want you to continue. At which point it would take the exact same zeros and ones, and then deploy that to QA, production, and so on and so on until you're done. Okay. So you are right now, you are not using release management, but you might as well be because it's the exact same engine and it is the exact same list of tasks that you saw over there. Yep. But right now it's in private preview. Right where you see build, right to yep. the right of that, you're going to see a little tab that says release as well once we okay. click preview at the end of the year. Oh, okay. It will cool. immediately be familiar to you uh, because it's the exact same experience you just went to with a couple of different differences. For example, there's environments or stages in a deployment that they're not in a build. For example, right, right. dev, QA, production. We allow you to identify those in release management. And we also allow you to identify what you want to happen in each one of those different environments, which is basically like little mini builds, build uh, definitions essentially yeah no this really helps clear this up too and sort of place right. release management and, and compare the two so my build is is running now so that's and you I can mean, see for, the output right there on the screen yeah well, yeah so which for is, which is cool this is like travis this is what i liked about travis ci is i could see everything in real time and this does the same thing yep. um so this is uh this is really cool so for anybody listening i mean that that's how long it took i don't know what that was carl was that two minutes and that was the first time, which is always going to be the longest time. If you had to do this again, it would take even less time because you wouldn't yeah. have to f set up your Azure subscription anymore. You already have your access token to GitHub. Yeah. So setting up the second time, third time is just a piece of cake. Oh, yeah. I could easily set up additional build definitions and everything. This is this is really easy. Yeah. Cool. Great. All right. So earlier when I was doing some research, I was I found that there's a section of the documentation that's called releasing without deployment agents and releasing with deployment agents. Can you explain what deployment agents are and what the difference between those two are? All right. Great. So in our original, when we acquired the tool from from in release or I mean in cycle, we had to deploy agents, which are pieces of software on the target machine that you wanted to deploy to, very similar to like an octopus tentacle or uh, a, a chef node, right? All of those have agents that are running on the machines listening for the instructions from their server that tells them what to go do. And we basically had those as well. When we went agentless, as it's called, and I, I would put agentless in quotes, uh, we basically introduced something called desired state configuration. Desired state configuration did not require you to install an agent because it's already there on Windows machines. But let's not Let's not kid ourselves. There is still a piece of software on that machine waiting for instructions to do something. Every one of these technologies has an agent on them. Mm -hmm. The fact that you didn't have to install it was a marketing thing. Hey, it's agentless. Eh, really, it's not. <laughs> right? The, the LCM, or the Local Configuration Manager, that is already installed on Windows 8.1 and Windows Server 2012 R2 was the agent that we chose to use, which you did not have to install, so we called it agentless. But mm -hmm. let's not kid ourselves, guys. Every one of these technologies has an well, that, agent. So that'll just be a secret be between us and our listeners. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just between us. Uh, but it, it, there's an agent there. It's just called the LCM, and it's built into Desire State Configuration, which is just a superset of PowerShell. Um, but like, otherwise, how do the bits get there and do anything, right? There has to be a process that makes the bits do something. In our newer system, what we've done is we've actually taken the agent, and we allow you to install it somewhere central. And we used to do this in the old one, too. We called them proxies. Um, some operations teams, regardless of how much you convince them it's okay, are not going to let you install something on their server that's running in production. So what we would do is we install this the agent outside of that particular machine. We'd then have to unfortunately punch holes in your firewall so that we could then push bits upon that server, but we weren't actually on it at the time. So we've kind of taken that 
that type of uh, mindset in our newer product. And you can do things like remote RM. Um, you can use whatever process that you want. And again, anything you can show me from a command line, I can do even if it's doing it on someone else's machine. Does that answer that question for you? Mm-hmm. All right, good. Um, what other cool stuff about uh, RM? Recently, what I just did with RM is Docker is hot. Um, so uh, they just posted my my uh, talk from Ignite. So you can go to Channel 9, go under Events, and go to Ignite New Zealand. And I'm very proud. If you go to right now, if you go to Top Rated Talks, mine are the first two. That are yeah, so I want to I, I want to sort of intro this because I wanted to talk about this because I, oh, cool. I watched uh, I. I watched the first half and then I skimmed the rest. I just nothing against the session, (laughs) (laughs) but your intro, like I sent it to, I sent it to Carl and I sent it to like eight other people. And I said, just watch the first three minutes of this. Yeah. It was so impactful. You, you had like the best intro on a presentation ever. I cannot take credit for that. Doug seven, uh, created that intro and I've stole it from him the second, because what happened is that, uh, at, TR19, which is an internal conference here at Microsoft, uh, mm-hmm. Doug Seven and I were co-presenting, and Doug sits down in front of me right when we're doing our tech checks. He says, I think I'm going to change the intro. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I, I, just go with it. I'm like, all right, whatever. I, I trust you, Doug. <laughs> and he gets up and tells the story, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Can you imagine being that poor guy? And then after the conference, I'm like, Doug, you got to let me use this. Yeah, knock yourself out. And yeah, so we should, a- we should talk about the story because I'll, I'll probably butcher it, but I love it because, you know, you talk, you have this, this new product that you're deploying to the to the stock market right yep. and uh you know so you're getting ready to push the button and you show like a you know a timer on the screen it starts at zero <laughs> or no actually you show, it's you counting show, down yeah it's yeah you show that and then you show like the dollar amount exactly and you're like okay let's release this and you push the button <laughs> and you're losing one hundred and seventy thousand dollars per second per second yes and 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 basically they they ended up unplugging the servers and this is this turns out this was a was this a true it's story true. yeah okay, it so this was happened a, yeah, okay that's what i thought so this was a true story and you're like this was 400 and some 400 and some million dollars dollars yeah 460 million that's half a billion dollars and you said that what was it seven out of eight servers were deployed correctly correct but then again that's where automation is why automation and devops are so tightly coupled because had they automated that it would have worked eight out of eight times right because automation just does that but some poor human being was following the guy that he was given, right? You know that big long list of go do this, go copy yeah, this, yeah, go yeah. change this file. Yeah, and he did and then it you're perfectly. Waiting, so you take a drink and then you exactly. look back and you skip a step. Exactly, and- he did it right seven out of eight times. This poor guy messed up <laughs> on one server, and in 45 minutes, completely bankrupt his entire company. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like heart wrenching. I, I, I know I'm story. watching it, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm sweating. It's just scary. My heart, my heart was pounding just exactly. Watching even that. when I, even when like I reenactment. Guys, I'm going to be speaking at this conference. Do not be late, right? The first two minutes of my talk is, if you miss the rest of it, that's fine, but do not be late because it sets the stage so well yeah. on what that is. And then I'm it's, glad like, you liked it. it's like, shut up and take my money. Like, what are you selling? <laughs> exactly. Like, I'll take say, it. Is this fixes important this. topic? Like, this is a half a billion dollars important topic, what I'm about to tell you. Because had the company had what we have here at Microsoft, they would have literally still be in business, right? It was half yeah. a billion dollars that they lost because they did not have the tools that we have here at Microsoft. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad yeah, you liked awesome. it. Yeah, yeah, and then you just, I mean, you're just an amazing speaker. I just wanted Thank to let you. you know, just, it's just incredible. I watch a lot of your stuff. So, thanks. Um, very cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, but the, so what I did at Ignite, so if you didn't finish watching the one at Ignite, I encourage you to do so because of the demo that I did was the most aggressive 
technology pack demo I had ever done. Yeah. So I want to pack my rooms to the rafters all the time. So my girlfriend and I came up with this really good idea because at Ignite was really weird. Ignite North America, my first session was packed, but my second one wasn't. And I felt that my second one was the better session. If you were going to come to one of mine, that's the one you should have come to, not the first one. Yeah. So I was like, okay, babe, how do I make sure that I don't have this happen to me again? So what we did is we put a teaser slide of my demo of the next session. So I was like, guys, we've already gone here. We've been together for 60 minutes, but this is the demo that you'll get to see if you come to my next one. And I have a tag cloud of all the technology that I'm using in my demo. And it's probably like 50 different words in there from ASP.NET, Docker, Linux, Yeah, because then everybody Azure. looks at it. They see the keyword that they're interested exactly. in. They're they're like, like, in. Exactly. And they're like, I'm in. Exactly. So when we got to the next room, they were literally sitting on the floor, down the aisles, standing against the walls to get in and watch this demo. And it went off without a hitch, which was amazing. So we literally checked in code. We committed to Git. We did a pull request. That pull request tri uh, triggered a build. That build ran X unit test, right? Because I wanted to prove that we work with other people besides MS test. After the X unit tests were done, we packaged this up in a Docker image using a Docker file. We then pushed that to Docker Hub, right? So we published this Docker image that mm -hmm. we wanted to. When that was done, we also packaged up our, our UI tests that we're going to be running during our build. We packaged up our database changes, which we're going to be deploying in real time here while I'm on stage with you. And we pushed that back to VSO. VSO woke up and said, okay, great. I have everything that I need. Let's start a release now. I released database changes right there in front of them. And one of the things that I do in my demo, which is a lot of fun, is I was so proud of this demo, I actually registered a URL domain name for my demo. Yeah, URL. I saw that. It was yeah. people, what was people it? PeopleTracker.us. Yeah. So during the talk, people were going in on their phones and on their computers and actually putting their names into this application yep. because I said, I'm not going to lose a single line of this data. So go in there, fill it with data right now. And I'm going to change the database schema, one, without writing a single line of SQL, and two, without dropping a single line of data in this database. Yeah. So by the time I got there, the, you could scroll off the screen of all the people who were playing along with this with this demo. And then I go and I deploy the database. I go and deploy a, a web services to the back end inside of Azure. And then I go and I run my Docker image on my first Linux host. And next thing you know, it pops up. We have new, new application support. Everyone's name is still in there. It was amazing. So to see <laughs> that really demo cool. go off without a hitch was just like, I worked three weeks nonstop. On oh that yeah, demo. I would imagine. Yeah, That's but very cool. It was all worth it though. I got there and it just—it was just like I'm gonna make you proud. That demo just went off without a hitch. And we went to three different environments. We went to Dev, QA, and Prod. I talked about how we were actually able to deal with configuration changes through Docker using a run command and passing in environment variables. We really went through a lot because the first, I think, six minutes of a 60-minute session was me talking. The next. The rest of it was me in that demo, right? Yeah. Explaining exactly how I built it. And what I'm in the process of doing right now is I just put out the first series of this blog post where I'm basically going to tell you exactly how I built that entire demo. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I'm, I wrote yeah, up. Yeah, you do a great job with your blog because it, it just seems like you, you know, I, I and I've sort of gotten onto the habit, but, you know, it's like whenever you fix a problem or something, it's like you publish it out there right away. Absolutely. It was funny because my it blog. It gets easy after a while. It does. And the reason that my blog exists is have you ever had deja vu where you're in a piece of cookie? Like, <laughs> I know I have fixed this before and you cannot find in your mountain of source control. You where know how many times I've searched for a problem and my blog came Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly why I started and I'm blogging. Like, no like, way. I had this I exact problem. I know I have fixed this before. So I said, that's it. I'm just going to write this blog post. And I didn't start writing them for any other reason but for myself yep, to be able to go back to and it. say, I know I have solved this before. Yep. And the next thing you know, I, I mean, I have a lot of people who seem to rely on it. And I don't mind putting them up there because if it takes me more than five seconds to figure it out, I'm probably not the only person who's struggling with this. Exactly. Let me go ahead and write this down and share it with everyone. Yeah, totally. I wish everybody would do that. Uh, oh, so yeah, Car Carl, do you have any other questions before we talk about money? 
Nope. Okay. So how much does this cost? Cause it, it's clearly going to save my company half a billion dollars. <laughs> so <is>. so <laughs> it, you just make the checks out to Donovan and it's yeah. only $300,000, right? Yeah, so it's this must really, be, really if it, it must be like a hundred billion dollar software. Uh, yeah, you would think, clearly. right? Yeah. You would think. So one of the things that we did wrong, I'll be perfectly transparent. When we first released release management, our licensing was horrendously bad. We were trying to charge you for every node that was going to get software from release management. That was quickly a million-dollar investment, right? Just like yeah. you're just describing. Uh, we completely rebooted our our um, our way for licensing, and what you pay for is the rights to the client tools, okay? Not the deployment, which okay. means I I now have the ability to build a pipeline like you just did in, in that amount of time, and I can now deploy it to an infinite number of endpoints for the same cost. So. It's part of your Visual Studio subscription, right? It, it, it's just you're going to have minutes of it available to you just for having a VSO subscription. Okay. And our build system, we're, we're still talking about exact marketing for how we're going to price it, but our build system it might be an example. If you get so much of it for free, and then you have to start paying for the running of those agents and things like that. So, again, since it's in private preview still, and we haven't actually officially released our, our release system, I can't go into a lot of details on what that pricing is going to be like, but it's no longer as bad as it used to be where it was just it was prohibitively expensive that's not the case any longer that i can promise you but the exact okay. details i can't share unfortunately okay yeah no problem yeah but it, it's trust me it's well worth the investment that company even even in our old licensing model uh night capital group should have bought it because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they still would have saved half a billion dollars yeah well carl <laughs> carl doesn't want to ask you this but uh he wants to know where he can meet uh, <laughs> meet up with so, you to, to beat you at air hockey. Oh, in the comments, this was really cool. So <laughs> Microsoft, when I when I moved down here, so I have I have two tables at my house in Houston. Well, I had two tables there, uh, and we used to broadcast. So a lot of the videos you see on my channel are actually filmed upstairs at my house. Okay. Uh, one other side note about air hockey is that if you think you're better than me, you can actually challenge me for my world ranking. And if I don't accept the challenge, they will drop me from the list. So oh, wow. I'm wow. Gonna go, yeah, I'm going to have to play that challenge match. And what happens is if you challenge me, I get to pick where the table is. And I happen to have two of the best tables in the nation. And I was able to film them. So a lot of people would literally fly to Houston to play challenge matches just so they oh, could wow. be filmed on my table. <laughs> and what I did when I called, when Microsoft said, okay, we want to move you to Redmond, I was like, well, I need a place to store my air hockey table. There's no way I can store it in my apartment. <laughs> they said, fine, bring it, and we'll let you store it here at Microsoft. So in the commons at Microsoft, that is my personal air hockey table that Microsoft <laughs> has so graciously let me store there so I could stay in practice. Uh, so if you want to come to Microsoft uh, and, and put the puck where your mouth is, we can definitely go and settle this. And you can see exactly what professional air hockey looks like up close and personal. I'll be out there next week. So. Oh, will you? No, no, yeah. let me know, and I'll meet you at the commons. Actually, I'll let you play my girlfriend first she's 52 in the world and and if you beat her then you can play me jeez well, so how, how do you feel about foosball i think it's amazing i'm not very good at it right okay I mean, I, so let's play oh, foosball also all right and then we'll have we'll have table tennis be the tiebreaker i'm unranked in foosball okay all right all right so <laughs> you might still friends. beat me there so i'm not very good at foosball but we'll let table tennis be the tiebreaker for us because we have all those oh, things geez. available to us man i'm bad at two out of three of those <laughs> I'm not too bad at table tennis. I think that might be why I'll be all right. And and actually, like with foosball, like I'm Green Bay good. I don't even know if I'm. I'm not even like Wisconsin good. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, but <laughs> so no, I will. I'm probably I, not I'd even be, Redmond good. I'd love to host you in a couple games of air hockey. So definitely get a hold of me while you're here on campus, and I will meet you in the comments. That would just it would just be 
It would just be a slaughter. It, 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 it will be. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be bad, but it's, it, you just don't understand until you see it, right? It was I, really funny. So we, we go to the commons, and the table's been really popular since it's been there. And these two people were playing, and there was three people there. And I was like, can I play winner? Like, sure. So they finished oh, yeah. their game. And I didn't say anything else, but yeah, can yeah, I play yeah. winner? You don't say anything. Exactly. I get to the table, and I score like the, – the first person is seven wins. And yeah. I played twenty, scored twenty one points in a row. Right, I beat him, his friend, and the little girl was with him. And people started laughing. Said, "Don't worry, it's his table." He's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "No, this is his table. Uh, that's why he's so good." I'm like, "Yeah, don't feel bad, guys. I'm number twelve. It's 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 a big deal." So, but yeah, if you guys want to challenge me for a challenge match, it usually takes about normally a challenge match takes hours to play because the the air hockey is the first person to get seven points wins. Yeah. A set is the first person to win four out of seven games, but a match is the first person to win four out of seven sets. So yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you 15 minutes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I could probably... I don't really have to score what, like... Bing, bing, not bing, very bing, long. Bing. Yeah, okay, not very anyway, long. anyway. Uh, so let's move on to sure, my sure, sure. pick of the week, which is going to be Visual Studio Online. Very cool. So, because this is... Uh, I have a newfound love for Visual Studio Online. See, I, I don't do... Just about everything I do is is in public. So, you know, I tend to use GitHub as my source sure, control. Sure, and, sure, sure. And that's, that's just sort of how I roll in my personal stuff. Now... The partners that I work with are um, almost exclusively using this and uh, and they love it. And, and, and some of these actually, one of them, their big concern was, are we too big for this? Like, you know, we have thousands of projects and, you know, hundreds of teams and blah, blah, blah. No. And uh, no, it's been it's been working well for them. So, yeah, it, um, it, it, it's, it's just think about TFS without ever having to back it up again. Yeah, that's the yeah. way I describe it, right? Because I couldn't wait to get to VSO because yeah. I don't always practice what I preach, and I've literally lost years of software because I didn't back it up regularly, and my hard drive crashed. Right? It wasn't yeah. TFS fault that my hard drive crashed, but now in VSO, I never even think about it. Yep, and that's why I put everything, yeah, either VSO or on GitHub. Absolutely. Okay, Carl, what is the dev and app tip of the week? Th- this is combined in the same, so th- this is a first. Um, if you go back and watch uh, the build video from uh, Thomas Fennel, he's uh, the project manager on the notifications uh, team on Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a tool that he used to show off how they created live tiles and show off the new adaptive live tiles features um, that just got released this week as a Windows 10 application. Uh, it's called Notifications Visualizer. So if you search for that in the store, it'll... Uh, you'll be able to check it out. And this thing is just jam-packed with everything you need to make really awesome live tiles, uh, you, especially using the new adaptive tile uh, way of writing your XML. So check it out. Um, they have different payloads. So they have like pre-written live tiles for you just, just so you can get a, an idea on how to do it. And because, uh, you know, when you first do it, you think of really simple things. They show you how to do really complex, you know, groupings and and images and just make them look really professional with just a few lines of XML. So check it out. They've got awesome examples in there. Very cool. Uh, and Donovan, we play this game that I didn't tell you about, but you're going to play anyway. Sure. Uh, it's easy. All I need you to do is pick a number between one and five and I got to find it here or one and four. <laughs> one and four. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> and this is a kid's game. So I'm warning you, but right. okay, go ahead and pick a number. Three's fine. Three. Okay. Would you rather be a big, slow bird or a fast little fish? <laughs> wow. A big, slow bird. I think I'd, I'd have to go with bird because I've always wanted to fly. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. Although, I guess it doesn't say that you can fly, though. It doesn't say what that, but I'm going to assume that I can fly. If I can't fly, I think I'd still rather be the bird, though. Yeah. Because a small goose, fish yeah. sounds like it's going to get eaten by somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Carl. Pick a number two and one and four. Four. 
four. Good choice. Okay. Would you rather have a pre? Ah, we just had that one. Hold on. Would you rather? <laughs> we just did that one. Would you rather have clumps of hair growing on your tongue or have clumps of hair growing on the outside of your nose and ears? Uh, I that would be disgusting having it on your tongue. Yeah. So I'll choose the nose and ears. Yeah, I think I pretty much have that covered already. Anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's a it's a game for That's kids. That's inevitable. For sure. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Donovan, uh, people are are going to be definitely interested in you. Where can they find more out about you? Uh, DonovanBrown.com is where I blog. It's D O N O. V-A-N, let me say that one more time. It's an O in the middle. I can't stand it when they spell my name with like seven A's. It is D-O-N-O-V-A-N, brown.com. And that's also my Twitter handle. So it's at Donovan Brown. Uh, so feel free to follow me there. Every time I blog, I tweet. So it's the easiest way to keep uh, keep up with me okay. on, on what I'm tweeting on, uh, what I'm blogging on as well. And I also have a channel on YouTube where I sometimes do videos of walkthroughs or if I do a session that's really popular but wasn't recorded by the conference, I will then go back and repeat it and post it on my YouTube channel. Perfect. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. So Donovan, thank you so much for coming on here and telling us, man, this is about everything. I've learned so much about, (laughs) uh, you know, car racing, air hockey, uh, you know, DevOps, release management, you name it. So so you can come on anytime. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I'd be happy to come back. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. Hello, so who are you? I am Ryan. And how old are you? Ten. And what is your relationship to me? I'm your son. (laughs) Okay, so what did I commission you to do? What did I ask you to do? Make a MS Dev Show Mario Maker level. Okay, and so tell tell me about this. How did how did you make this? I made it just off the top of my head. I kind of did random stuff, and then I got rid of stuff, and then I fixed stuff. Okay. So, and how do how do people play this? They use that code basically. Yeah. Okay. So we'll put that in the show notes so that everybody can check out Ryan's MS Dev Show level. And where can people find you on Twitter? Ryan the Gamer one two three. Okay, well, thank you for making the level. You're welcome.